0: If you took a peek at our stage, you might uh, uh, have a little guess as to what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about shoes. You wearing some? Anybody wearing shoes today? Uh, they, are, they are kind of the, the taken-for-granted piece of our, our clothing. Um, I just I never remember not having shoes. Can you remember a day that you didn't have shoes? I think uh, uh, my wife raised our kids not to wear shoes. I would always come home and be like, why are they not wearing shoes? Um, But uh, I've just always had shoes. In fact, I kind of laughed when our kids were little. Uh, We started putting shoes on these kids before they could even walk. Does anybody remember those days? Like they were purely ornamental. This was just to fill out the outfit. You know, Chuck Taylor's look good with this particular onesie or something like that. Uh, But shoes are something that we put on every day. Uh, There's something that uh, as we are... Interacting with the story of Moses that God asked him to remove. See, back in the days when Moses walk, was walking the earth, shoes uh, weren't just a given in society. In fact, um, you had to have a certain class of prestige to be the wearer of shoes. In fact, if you were a slave or among the slave class, uh, you didn't have them. Most of the slaves, uh, you were without them. That's how you could be discerned in the marketplace as to what you were in life. Um, Shoeless meant servant. And so it's no wonder that as God comes to Moses, 80 years old, kind of hanging out in the woods of Midian with his father-in-law's sheep, he comes to him uh, through a burning bush. If you were here last week, we got to that part of the story as as God interacts with Moses in a bush that is on fire but not being consumed. That would make me look. Would it make you look? I think it might. So Moses wants to have a a look-see on this one, and as he comes near... When the Lord, it tells us in Exodus 3 verse 4, saw that he had turned aside, uh, God called out to him from the bush and he said, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Last week we talked about the fact that as Moses was saying, here I am, he wasn't just you know, indicating his position, his presence, he was basically um, uh, submitting himself to whoever this was that was speaking from this bush that was on fire but not being consumed. He was saying, hey, I am at your service. Whoever you are, whatever this is about, you seem like you're more powerful than me. Let me put me under you. God goes on and he says to Moses those words that we were referring to just a second ago. He says to him, don't come any near. He says, take your sandals off your feet for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. It's the first time that God refers to himself as holy, as set apart as other And he's making it very clear to this guy, Moses, who he has already saved from uh, death uh, several times, um, that uh, we're having this conversation, but I'm not equal to you. Take off your shoes, because I'm holy and I'm your master. I love the parallels between Moses' story and our story. Like if you're a Christian today, um, you you went through a a similar pattern uh, at, at the time that you came to Christ as Moses did here at the bush. See, what God did, uh, he actually tells us through Paul in the book of Ephesians is that before the world came into being, he predestined or preordained that you and I would be adopted as sons and daughters into his family. And at just the right time in your life and my life, uh, he saw fit to draw you to himself. I don't know what your burning bush was. Uh, Mine was a a rather large man at a Christian camp that I was attending as a nine-year-old. Uh, he explained the gospel to me in a way that for the first time I truly understood, and I gave my life to Christ on that day. So he, 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 he got me in a position where I could hear his gospel, and then he called my name, just like he called Moses at the bush. It wasn't audible, but in my spirit I sensed the, the prompting of God, Mark, Mark, come here. And what he did at that moment is he saved me. I understood that my sins were separating me from him and that if I was going to be connected to the God who made me, I needed a savior. And I heard about Jesus and how he had come and he had lived a perfect life becoming the perfect sacrifice to die on the cross. Uh, The the thing that would uh, eradicate my sin was a, was a, a sacrifice and Jesus made it for me so that I wouldn't have to make it for myself. I put my trust in what Jesus did and that's what saved me. At nine years old, I I don't know if I was completely clear on that transaction and what it truly entailed. I was grateful for the salvation, but I don't know if I understood that Jesus was not just my Savior, but he was my Lord. We're going to sing about that here in a a few weeks as Christmas comes around. Remember the angels when they were announcing the coming of Christ? They said this, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, yay, who is Christ, ah, the Messiah the Lord. Jesus didn't just save us so that we could benefit from his grace. He saved us so that he could uh, mold us and shape us and use us in his story moving forward. He he called us to be his servants. That's why he says later uh, in in the story of Christ, he's born, grows up, lives, and he kind of comes on the scene around the age of 30 and he just starts telling people, here's what I'm about. And he says to them, If you want to follow me, Luke chapter 9, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. And you're going to have to take up your cross daily if you're going to follow me. The imagery is different, but the message is the same. Moses, take off your shoes. Jesus, he tells us to pick up our cross. But the message remains I'm not just your Savior. I'm your Lord, and I've saved you not just to sit but to serve, to grow and to change and to become like my son Jesus, to trust me in life and to move forward in a no-shoes commitment to me. See, uh, I renamed our service tonight or our sermon today uh, to Barefoot Obedience. That's what we're called to, Barefoot Obedience to Christ barefoot obedience in this life that we have through him with god moses was called the same way but he like us i'm guessing as the story unfolds here in exodus 4 was starting to wonder if he'd made a right choice i picture him you know as god continues uh you know his conversation with him and saying to him hey moses here's why we're talking i lit the bush on fire so that you could know that you're going to be my agent in freeing my people from the clutches of Egypt. It's going to be great, epic. We'll write stories about it. They'll talk about it in Brandon in Florida in 2019. But as Moses is hearing this, if you were here last week, he's got lots of questions. But his first question was, who am I? Who am I to go and, and talk to the leaders of Egypt about freeing the Israelites? That's, that just doesn't seem to make sense. And, and, and if you remember, God said this to Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am I'm gonna go with you that's all you need Moses says well if that's the case who do I say that you are when I talk to the elders of Israel and I, I explain you to the Pharaoh of Egypt he says well tell them I am that I am tell them that Yahweh has sent you I am that I am I I am just so high so separate so above I'm just I just am I'm God, I was that I was, I will be that I will be, I am that I am, I am God. You go on in in, in the last part of chapter three, which we didn't get to last week, they're long chapters, but he basically summarizes for Moses, here's how it's going to go. Calls his shot, says, Mo, we're going to go over there and it's going to take some time. Pharaoh's not going to, you know, totally believe initially. Uh, It's going to be, you know, a little bit, but ultimately here's the deal. I'm going to meet you right back here. They're standing at uh, this mountain called Horeb. It's going to be later called Mount Sinai. And he says, I'll meet you right back here. You're going to have all the children of Israel with you in tow, and it'll be just like I told you. I'll meet you right back here. And Moses is still not quite on board. You know, I, I, I picture this. It's not in the Bible, but this is what I picture Maybe symbolically, Moses is reaching down for his sandals. He's like, you know, Bush, or or whoever you are, I am, whatever. uh, This this seems like a great idea, but I'm just not sure you got the right guy. And he starts putting his shoes back on. Because his protests, his, his feelings of inadequacy, they're rooted in his faith in himself or his lack of. And he's not willing to obey or trust this God who has called him to this task. I find that that's my struggle. Is it yours? I'm all about Jesus being my Savior, and I even give a lot of lip service to Jesus being my Lord, but there's certain areas of my life where I'm like, hey, you can have this, but just not this. And I perpetually disobey. I constantly have questions, contradictions that I bring to the God who has called me in essence, I, I reach down for my shoes, which should stay off. But I seek their comfort and I don't wanna to risk. Today I'm calling all of us, once and for all, maybe um, uh, once, you know, for, you know, for this day, it's, it's, it's been a long time since you've really evaluated um, where you are in terms of your obedience to Christ. Maybe you're just kind of you know, crossing off Sundays, you're making it here every week, um, you're faithful. That's the funny thing about Christianity, you can totally fake it. if You just show up in the right you know, arenas and say the right things and post the right stuff on Facebook and you can make anybody, including yourself, believe that you're a Christian. A Christian isn't measured by these outer qualifications, it's, it's measured by a true heart. That's rooted not just in receiving from one God what He can give us by His grace as our Savior, but, but seeing Him as our Lord, and serving Him faithfully with all that we have. Today I'm calling on all of us, once and for all to lose our shoes, to live a no-shoes commitment to our Savior and our Lord. I want to answer this question from the stories that goes on here with Moses. How do we stay barefoot and obedient to God? And there's a couple things we'll get through this morning. The first one is this: is that barefoot obedience. It starts and ends with a willing and active faith on our part. When it comes to obedience, we need to be willing to do whatever we're asked, and then active in doing it. We can't just be, you know, nodding in assent and then not doing what we've been called to do. I've I've, I've sat in that service. Have you sat in that service? Maybe you're doing it right now. That's right, Mark. We need to be obedient. I, I understand absolutely that this is what God has called me to do. And then we leave, and obedience is not a part of our lives. Christians are great nodders. But we need to be not only willing to do whatever God asks, but active in doing as he asks. Here's what Moses um, does next in the story that is unfolding here. God tells him everything that's going to happen, and Moses answers this way. But behold, he says, but. Anybody got a a yeah, but issue with God? Anybody that way with the Heavenly Father? Yeah, but, Father, yeah, I mean, you'll go with me, and we'll meet right back here. Yeah, 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 but. That's what Moses says. He's got some yeah, buts. Yeah, but behold, check it out, God. They will not believe me, nor will they listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. They're going to call me a liar. They're going to say this is not true. And so <laughs> you're going to need, basically what he's saying, I, I need some proof. As I had a friend who actually recently had the opportunity to uh, participate in a, in, a, in a golf tournament where uh, he and his buddy were playing two other partners, and they get to the first tee, and they realize they would be playing the Manning brothers, Eli and Peyton, uh, at this golf tournament, right? And so he's telling me the story, and I'm like, liar, like you would do, right? Like, you know, <laughs> that's a lie. And he whips out his phone. He's like, am I a liar now? And there's the pic, right? That's how we prove things these days. Selfies. God didn't have his phone. <laughs> that's dumb. Anyway, uh, but he didn't give Moses a selfie that says, yeah, you know, here, this authenticates the fact that I've told you is what I've told you is true. But uh, <laughs> he does give him some signs. Let's read what they are. Uh, the Lord says to him, hey, hey, Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses says, well, that's, that's my staff. It was a long kind of you know, broomstick type thing uh, that he would use to guide the sheep. He says, that's my staff. And and he says, well, throw it on the ground. Now, this is what I love about God. Sure, uh, barefoot obedience starts with us being willing and active in our faith. But isn't God gracious to us to kind of give us, you know, some baby steps first? Like there's certain things that God commands of us that are probably pretty easy for us to obey. Like when he says in the Ten Commandments, don't murder, don't raise your hand. But most of us in here haven't committed that one, right? God is spirits. We've been angry, and and he goes on in the uh, the Sermon on the mount about kind of re-qualify what don't murder means. He says, hey, just so so you know, great that you haven't actually physically killed someone, but when you call someone a fool, it's like you've committed murder. It's all in there. But but there's there's some commandments that we're going to be like, oh, I can do that. And so Moses, first thing, what you got in your hand? That's my stick. And God says, okay, throw it down. And so Moses... Starts slow, starts small. It says that he threw it on the ground, but then something happened. Uh, that stick became a serpent. And Moses, who has been in the woods for 40 years watching sheep, knows which snakes are okay and which snakes aren't. we got these two snakes in our ecosystem. There's one if yellow's on black, it'll attack. I don't know what the words are, but, uh, and I can't tell which one. I just run from both of them, right? But, uh, But you know, there's a certain understanding for people who live in the uh, in the wilderness of what they can go near and and what they should run from. And Moses, in this case, sees this snake come from what was his stick, and he says, "Out of here! I'll be over here, Lord. If you need me, I'm not getting close to that." So look what God does in the next moment. But the Lord says to Moses, "Hey, Mo, we're not done. That's not the trick." That's not the sign. The sign will be this. I want you to come up behind that snake, and I want you to grab it by the tail. <laughs> Who's in? Anybody in? <laughs> we kind of pass over this real fast because, we, you know, there's lots to read, and it's a great story, and we've heard it so many times. But, but put yourself there. You're carrying a stick. You put it on the ground. God turns it into a snake. You run. Smart. But then he calls you back and he says, I want you to grab that snake by the tail. So you got, I'm picturing the cobra or whatever and it's like, all right? And you're like. But very matter of factly, as Moses tells his story, he just says, so he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand again. and, And God says this to him. Uh, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Isn't that just like God? He'll start us slow, throw your stick on the ground. But then it, invariably and eventually in our lives, he's going to get us to a point where we're like, this is risky, God. This seems kind of crazy, God. I don't know if I can do this, God. But he says, no, man, I got you. Grab it. And Moses, in this particular case, does. He's willing and he's active in his faith. That's what obedience requires. Now I'm gonna summarize the next sign. The next sign, he's told to put his hand in his his coat and his his hand comes out with leprosy on it. He's told to put it back in and, and he takes his hand back out and it's clean. And God says to Moses, there's your signs. Stick, snake, hand, leprosy, clean. He says, if that doesn't work, you keep reading your Bibles, it's right in there. If that doesn't work, if they don't believe those two, here's what you're going to do. Take your Yeti cup and go down to the Nile and fill it up with some water and then pour it out right in front of them. And as it hits the ground, I will turn that water into blood. Now that one was the most faith filled. He didn't see it before. He didn't know it would work. And he had to go down and fill it up and then bring it out. And he had to wait while he poured it out for it to hit the ground. And that's when God was going to turn it into blood. If you read later in the story, as the chapter ends, he does all of these signs. And the children of Israel believe Moses and praise God. It's an incredible victory. But here at the beginning, his protests are, they're not going to believe me. God gives him signs, but all of the signs require Moses' faith. All of the signs, by the way, are completely tied to the story of Egypt. If you've ever seen like the movies, what does the uh, Egyptian pharaoh on his have on his headdress? It's a snake. It's a sign of his power and his deity and the, and the culture that he's a part of. And God's trying to say to the Pharaoh in no uncertain terms, hey, bro, I make the snakes and I break the snakes and I will break you. I cause disease and I heal disease. I take the symbol of your power, which is the Nile River. Don't miss this. Nile equals Egypt. Egypt equals Nile. Nile. The thing that makes Egypt a, a sovereign and powerful nation is that it's able to produce its crops regularly because of the, the verdant soil that comes from the silt that pull, pulls out, gets pulled out of the Nile every year. It's this through, through, thoroughfare, this throughway, for it is a nation to go north and south as it pleases. They've always got a water supply because the Nile is such a mighty river. And so God says, I'm gonna take your symbol of greatness and I'm gonna turn it into death itself, blood. Stay tuned, that's the first plague. But there's Moses, starting slow and being called to more. And in this instance, he passes, but it doesn't last long. We just sang that song, I've seen you move, move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you move. Do it again. Anybody sing that song with me? Yeah. It's a great uh, testimony of the faithfulness of God. It's a great commitment song, a, a stake in the ground song for us. But I'm amazed at how quickly I stopped singing that song. I've seen you move the mountains. am not sure what you're going to do here, though. I mean, I trust you to take care of everybody else's problems. I'm their pastor. I'll pray for them. But when it hits my life, eh, I'm not so sure. I, like you, go through my crises of faith. I go through my dark nights of the soul. I go through those moments where I'm just not sure I believe that God can. Moses is there again because he, like us, is a master at finding his shoes and putting them back on. God tells him at the beginning, take them off. But with every excuse, he gets closer to slicing up his sandals, lacing up his sandals one more time. His excuses, his, his reasons get weaker as they go. I think he's kind of grasping for straws. You ever been in that situation where someone really wants you to go out on some particular outing or some evening and you just don't want to go? I know you don't do this. You're all good, godly people. But you've come up with every excuse that you can and they keep coming against you with, oh, I'll find you a babysitter. Oh, you know, I'll take care of that. Oh, I'll pay for you to go. And you just don't have the heart or the courage to tell them, I just don't want to do this. And so you you create some cockamamie story that keeps you from having to fulfill that obligation. I asked a girl out before I met Eleanor in college. This was actually we had we had top ten excuses on my wall. We would write them on you know the cardboard that papered my wall uh, that girls had given the, my friends on the floor for not going out with them. One kid comes in and he says, you know, hand on the Bible. I asked a girl to go out with me on Friday night and she told me that she can't because she has to wash her hair. <laughs> Ladies, that's just cruel. Don't do that. That's just mean. But we do that. We, we create excuses. So here's Moses. Everybody ready for Moses? <laughs> Eloquently so far, Moses has been making his defense to God. Uh, in his writings, he's not stammering or stuttering. He's been very, you know, pointed. Hey God, who am I? Hey, God, who are you? Hey, God, they won't believe me. He's, he's been very uh, eloquent in making his defenses why he's not able to go. But now he's going to say this. Uh, Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. I haven't been since birth, and that's your fault. You could have made me eloquent when you made me, but you didn't. And I haven't all of a sudden become eloquent as I've been talking to you. And I would, again, argue that he's a liar. He's been doing very well saying what he needs to say so that he doesn't have to do what God wants him to do. So he says this. Uh, I am slow of speech. It's Hebrew, uh, these words, heavy-tongued. And lots of people is, have tried to guess what that means. Does he actually have like a speech impediment, a stutter, a lisp? Uh, is he just fearful of standing in front of crowds like so many of you are and would never want to be doing what I'm doing right now? Kill me first. Uh, is he... Worried about remembering the language, the Egyptian dialect that he probably hasn't spoken for 40 years. I mean, spin the wheel. It could be any of these things. But I think mostly he doesn't doesn't want to do what God's asking him to do. Uh, Sermon sidebar real quick. You know the number one excuse that Christians give for not sharing their faith with people who don't believe in Jesus Christ? I don't know what to say. I'm inarticulate. They play the Moses card. And in the same way that God's about to tell Moses, I'll speak for you, just so you know, when it comes time for you to share the gospel with your friends, just put your mouth in gear and let God move it. He'll start saying what he needs to say. Back to the sermon. God's getting a little bit over all this stuff. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore, go. Anybody want to guess how many times in this discourse Moses has been told by God to go? This is number four. Anybody ever been that parent who's asked your kid to take the garbage out and they have every reason why they can't? I gotta do this, I'm busy with this, I gotta do this. And finally, and finally, the fourth time, however many times, you're like, go! And you chase them down the hall until the garbage is at the curb. <laughs> That's kind of where our Heavenly Father is getting with Moses. Now, therefore, go. But he gives him this assurance, and I'll go with you. I already told you this once, but I'll go with you. And I'll, I'll, I'll speak with your mouth and I'll, 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 I'll teach you what you need to know to be able to say it. I've already told you what you need to say, like m- multiple times. Tell them I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Tell them I am the I am. Tell them that I'm, I'm coming to get them. I've seen their plight. I've already given you the script. Just go already. And I'll go with you. What God's trying to teach Moses is that his protest is irrelevant. We're not talking the same thing here, Mo. You're worried about you, and I'm telling you, I am able to work through you. It's not about your competence. It's about my ability. It's irrelevant. But look what Moses does next. Finally, he understands, and he says, Okay, Father, yes, Lord, I'll, I'll do as you ask. Is that what he does? No. He's going to say it very delicately, and you and I are very polite when it comes to God. We, we know we should be, you know, nice. But make, make no mistake here, Moses is just flat out saying to his God, no. Oh, my Lord, please, very polite, please send somebody else. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying don't make me. Read. I will not obey. That's a tight spot to be right there, people. Does everybody get that God is God and we are not? But on the regular, like Paul says, the things I know to do, I don't do we are guilty over and over again of having all the information and having the clear indications of what we're supposed to do and we just look up at a heavenly God and we say, no. No thanks. And it's as if we're just taking those shoes that he's told us to take off and we're just like, I'm good. I'm gonna go walk my own path. Hmm. Now, Moses' protest here is irreverent. He's not understanding who God is or who he is. And when that happens, sin occurs. And disobedience is our only way. It says in verse 14 that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. If you've stopped there and you just kinda you know say, okay, what do you think's gonna happen next? Me, I'm thinking God's had enough. He's been patient, showing him signs, giving him assurances, said, I'll go with you. And now his anger isn't just kind of, you know, gurgling and beneath the surface. It's it's been lit. It's been set. And his anger is there. And so I'm thinking, here comes the hammer. He's going to turn Moses into a toad or something. But look what he does. His anger was kindled against Moses, and he says this. Is there not your brother... Aaron, the Levite, I know that he can speak well. Behold, even now, he is coming out to meet you. I've already prompted him, knowing that you are going to rebuff me the way that you have. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Hadn't seen you for 40 years. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Underline that. Then he says, Don't forget to take your staff with which you'll do the signs. Moses is finally going to go, but he's only going to go as a result of God doing him this solid. God will send his brother Aaron as the mouthpiece. God says to Moses, I'll be as God to you, and you'll be as God to your brother. He was surely speaking of the fact that the message would come through Moses and be given to Aaron and he'll speak it to the people that are needing to hear. But he's also kind of tipping the hand of of what's gonna happen in the future. He wants um, uh, Moses to understand what he as our Heavenly Father is feeling right now in the midst of Moses and his tentativeness and his unwillingness to follow. Okay, I'll give you Aaron. It's not gonna be a great plan. Ultimately, it's going to bring you great sorrow. In fact, as you bring the children of Israel right back to this mountain, and then I meet you on this mountain, give you the Ten Commandments, they're going to be all set to go. But you're going to come down the mountain, spoiler alert, and as you come down the mountain, you're going to see that your brother, Aaron, has actually led the children of Israel into idolatry. They've melted down all of the precious metals they had taken from the Egyptians when they left Egypt, and they had made themselves a golden calf, and they're worshiping it. So here's Aaron. Aaron. And in the same way that you're going to feel disobeyed and disregarded and untrusted, I want you to remember that. Because, in essence, that's how I feel right now. Now, pause for a second, people, and rejoice with me that we have a patient, loving, and gracious God who, even when we say to him, please find someone else, he says, Moses, it's so important for me that you are a part of this, that even if it isn't as exactly as I desire it, I'm going to work with you, work around you, work despite you. And we're going to see this through because there is so much that I need you to learn and so much that I want to accomplish through you that it's worth it to me. That's the air conditioning. It's worth yeah, Some of you are like, yes, Lord, yes, yes, it is worth it. It's worth it to me to have you. What an amazing God. He does it over and over and again in his story. Later in the the story of Israel, they're going to want a king and God's going to say, you don't need a king. I'm your king. But they're going to say to Samuel, the prophet at the time, tell God we want a king. And he's like, all right, I'll give you a king. And then he spends like a half a chapter of his Bible explaining how this king is going to wreck your world. He's going to put your sons into the army and they're going to die. He's going to take your sons and your daughters and he's going to put them into slave labor. He's going to take your fields and he's going to annex them. It's going to be horrible. But if that's what you want, here you go. And he allows us to wander and fail so that we can learn the hard way, but we can learn that he's God. Oh, blessed are the ones who don't need those lessons. Guys like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who stand at the mouth of a furnace that will kill them and say to the one who is seeking to kill them, hey, uh, you can tell us to bow down all you want to false images, false idols, but we serve a God who can save us from this fiery furnace you're about to throw us into. And even if he chooses, not to. We're still not bowing down because I took my shoes off and no matter what comes, I'm going to obey my God. So the story continues. I'm not going to be able to get to it all. But Moses goes back to his father-in-law, Jethro and tells him this is what's, what's up, doesn't exactly tell him that he's going back to do what he's going to do. He's He's saying, it's been too long. There's lots of things there I'm not going to get into. But he says, I'm going to go back. And Jethro says, go. And on the way back, Aaron meets him somewhere between Midian and and Egypt. And as you skip down towards the end, there's some other things there. But you skip down towards the end of the chapter. They go to the elders of Israel, and they they show them the signs. And the elders of Israel say, yeah, we're in. We've been praying. We've been waiting. We've been crying out. For the deliverance of our God, and and apparently you're the agent of it. Let's do this. Anybody ever been in that situation where you fuss and fret and scuff your feet and and slow roll and and, and resist, and then finally, when you go and do what God has called you to do, you're like, that was easy. Oh, it's just like He said. It's just like, you know, He wanted this to work. That's not all the time, but I'm amazed at how many times I'm the problem. And if I could just keep the shoes off and submit myself to the direction of a God who knows what he's doing, who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything I can ask or think, the God who goes with me in what he commands me to do, if I could just stay out of the mix and trust him in barefoot obedience, what could he do with one person who's willing to do that? What could he do with a church full of people? who are willing to do that. I know we get distracted, we get scared, we get selfish, it's hard. But I think every once in a while, and I know some of you are like, when is this gonna be over? But listen to me, every once in a while, we need to put a pin in life and just stop. And say, okay, wait, 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 right now. What, what really matters? Is it the silly stuff that I think matters? That's not gonna matter in the end? Or is it the God who made me, the God who drew me and called me to himself, the God who saved me, the God who, as he saved me, made himself my Lord? Is that what matters? Okay, if that's the case, and it is, then what am I doing in life? What areas in my life are not surrendered to him? Where where am I willfully, politely, but willfully saying, God, no, I won't do that. Where is he patiently pushing and enabling and affirming and even providing plan B's so that I can finally just go and do what he's calling me to do? It's going to work out if I'll just trust him. Where are those things happening? It's going to be a little different end today because here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Most of you walked in here with a pair of these on. I'm going to ask you to take them off right now. Ready to take your shoes off. If you would, some of you are like, I'm not doing that. All right, whatever. They're just shoes. The person's next to your feet's going to stink too. Don't worry about it. Just take them off. Some of you are like, too weird. First time today, not doing it, Mark. That's cool. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I just want you to hold your shoes in your hand like this. Just hold them. Okay? Everybody got them? Okay, you're holding your shoes. I'm holding mine. This is the third pair I've set down here today. But I'm glad, in lots of ways, that I'm laying some shoes on a stage, because here's the deal, they're just shoes, people. They're just, you got more, you're Americans. Now some of you might not, and so the things I'm gonna say, listen, if you wanna keep your shoes, it's fine. You're not holier if you give up your shoes. Does everybody get that? But I wanna give you an opportunity in the time that we have left to make a decision, a determination in your life about how you're gonna live. And if you've been without God and you don't know Jesus yet, it's time to take off your shoes and serve him. He created you for it. I believe that if today's your day, he predestined this day for you to meet him and put your faith in Jesus Christ. So you need to meet Jesus today. But many of you already know, have faith in Christ. And so here's the deal. I'm telling you one more time. Are you living in barefoot obedience to him? I'm asking that. Is is this the condition of your heart? Is this the condition of your life? So I I pray you can say yes, or if it hasn't been, I pray you can say from now on it will be. And as an act of commitment, here's what's happened. So many people already have done this. Uh, If you want to come up, and as a symbol, not because we need your shoes, we will get them to someone who does, but we don't need your shoes. But as a symbol of you saying, God, I am yours. I may not be perfect in my obedience, but I want to strive for it. And as you give me the grace, I will follow you always. Here's my shoes. Come up while we sing this last song and lay them here with the rest of them. Now, if you want to lay them here just as a symbol, but you need them because you need to, you know, go somewhere next, lay them down, come back and get them after. You can do that. But maybe this is a time for you to just pray, and I'm going to give you a second to do that, and just ask God, what do you want me to do? Don't do it because the person next to you is or someone else has already done it. Just do it because you know that God means business and he wants you to humble yourself and be the servant that he's called you to be. All right, bow your heads. I'm just going to give you a second. You and God, you pray. Father, we thank you for the example of, of Moses, and we are like him. Like him in the fact that you um, have called us and drawn us to yourself, just like uh, you drew him. Uh, but like him in the fact that we have our questions and doubts and we're frail and frayed. And so God, um, as we come to this moment and we take this opportunity to just hear from you and understand what you want from us, if we're supposed to just lay these shoes that you've given us, down as a symbol of our obedience to you draw us to that and then help us to walk from here um, not just willing but active in our faith and available to the things that you've called us to we just want you to have the glory you deserve from us God we want to follow you in life so deal with us now as we sing.
1: Can I say What can I do But hold of the one
0: Before they moved on, uh, they paused, they went back uh, to the shores and they pulled stones from the Red Sea, 12 of them, one to represent each tribe. They stacked them up as a monument. Israel was known for this. They would would pause and reflect and as they saw God act, they would would do something that would signify, whether it was their feasts or their, their monuments, they would do something that would signify the goodness of their God these shoes lay here as a monument not because we need to give people shoes we do but as a symbol of you and others like you in our services this weekend saying yep I understand obedience matters I want to live in barefoot obedience to my God so let me pray that over you as we close this morning God I want to thank you um for all who stand here with shoes on, with shoes off, wherever they are on their, their journey with you. Um, I pray that we've all understood from the story of Moses the importance of uh, getting past our own frailties and fears and just trusting you in life. And So as we walk out of here, I pray it's not just a day where we walked out without shoes. I pray it's a day Where we walked out and and we remember November 10th as a a day when we said, Lord, um, I seek you and you alone. I want to worship you and you alone. I want to obey you in the areas of my life that you want to speak to. And I pray that's what happens. I pray it because of Jesus, in honor of Jesus, and in his name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.